This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, embracing your authentic voice. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today we're equipping you with some tools to develop, embrace, and own your voice. Today's guests are true creatives. Ramunda is CEO and connection strategist of Ramunda Young Incorporated, where she passionately helps women craft their value voice to build business relationships that increase sales and self-confidence. As noted, Ramunda is also the co-founder of Mahogany Books, which she runs alongside her husband, Derek Young. Welcome to the show, Ramunda. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. Like, why wouldn't I have you on this show, Woman oh. Behind the Business, and you are the woman behind Mahogany Books? And so before I go any further, I would be remiss not to congratulate you on opening Mahogany Books right here in Washington, D.C. after having it online for, what, 10 years? 10 years. So what took you so long? I know, right? God, <laughs> you know what? We can jump right into it right now. <laughs> uh, God, to be honest, he mm-hmm. knew what it, what we needed to go through mm-hmm. to, to be ready at mm-hmm. this point. So, yeah, that, it took us a while. But um, we're excited. We're excited to do it. And it's right on time. A lot of times we think, oh, it needs to be done now. And we always want to have our store open from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But again, God, and we could talk about that. I, have, I get so excited <laughs> just thinking about it, the, the journey that we had to take. But So let's talk about the journey. Hey. That's, that's, that's what we're here for. Yes. <laughs> this is what I live for. <laughs> right. So it's so funny. Ten years ago, my husband and I started it in our two-bedroom apartment in Alexandria, Virginia. And we were kind of tossing around what? kind of business idea could we do that could impact our community? And I'm proudly from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when we thought about books and what an an impact books could make in our community, going online was just made perfect sense. Therefore, people in Tulsa, Oklahoma could have access to those black books. If you lived in Kentucky, you'd have access. Detroit, wherever you were, you could have access to books that could change the trajectory of your life. So we went online first, but it was just he and I in our two bedroom apartment, just putting together a website. We had never done that before. He put together this amazing website um, from scratch and, and stayed up all night trying to figure out and in the chat room trying to figure out what's, you know, how to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. But um, it's been a great journey. And even though we're just opening a physical store, all, I tell people all along this way, God was allowing us to build our followers, to build relationships with publicists, build relationships with publishers and the community. So when our doors did open, all those people came with us. So Let it was again. right mm-hmm. on time. If we had opened and nobody knew who we were, that could have been a whole different story. But we opened and everybody was cheering for us yeah. that had been along this journey all those years. So so how was that, like, opening a bookstore online? Mm-hmm. Um, because, like you just said, like, if you were to open your doors to a, an actual brick and mortar and no one knew your name, then that journey would be a little bit of a struggle, right? But opening online, wasn't it still a similar situation where people, you had to build your brand, build the awareness of what Mahogany Books was all about? Absolutely, we did. Again, we had started in the book industry. I started at, um, I worked at Howard University Bookstore for a little bit. Look at you, H-U. getting excited about <laughs> HU, right? I started there. That was my first kind of foray into books. I didn't know anything about it. I had gotten laid off before and I wanted to 
start something new, a different different field. And so I started with books. Um, that was my first jump into it. And it was an independent bookstore at that time. Now it's owned by another corporation. Um, but I started there. And so when we went and started our own business, the time and the relationships and um, industry experience I started getting was at Howard. Mm. And then I went on to work at um, Karibu Books, which is now defunct, but um, I was their district manager. So I took those experiences along with me. And I say God helped us with that because even though I started in books at that time at Howard, I had no idea that we would have a bookstore, but that dot was put there for a reason. And then the next dot came when I worked at Caribou. So now God allowed me to connect those dots and have this this bookstore that I share with my husband. So it's, even though you don't know when you transition like that, how it's supposed to be or how it's going to be, mm-hmm. I think for me, just trusting the process has been great. But it was just us starting um, and reaching out to people. And they're like, who is Mahogany Books? Who are you? Mm-hmm. And uh, But we went through those no's and we went through those people who didn't understand who we were to build those relationships to where we are now. Now, what is the experience like when you enter the doors of Mahogany oh, Bookstore? So for me and for others, I hear them say it's, a lot of people say it feels like love mm. when you walk in the doors because we have, you know, I have it set up where the smells really are, um, really kind of gravitate toward the people. And a great mentor said, when you open up a business, what does it smell like? What does it sound like? And what does it um, smell like? Sound, smell, and hear, those th- three things. Mm-hmm. So those are very important to us. So when you walk in, you hear the jazz, or you hear the Malcolm X speeches, or you hear Mary, Mary, whatever we're feeling that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does feel like love when I walk in, but it's it's surreal. When I tell you, Angel, it is surreal to look at those shelves and to know each one, my husband and I and his cousin hammered away and cut <laughs> and we stained and our 13-year-old daughter helped us stain and put those shelves together. It was done with love and it was done with our community in mind. Ah. So beautiful. Thank you. So outside of it taking you 10 years Mm -hmm. um, to build this brand, you also have your other company that you work with, which is Value Voice, the Value Voice. Talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So it was important for me to start Ramona Young Incorporated. There are so many women who are phenomenal entrepreneurs. They Mm -hmm. could be experts in the health field or expert in media or expert um, when it comes to technology, whatever it is. But when it comes to stepping out and building those relationships, whether it's with um, industry leaders or thought leaders or celebrities, a lot of them kind of shy away because they want to stay in this little box and be this a phenomenal writer and write a book. But you have to come from behind the book and make those connections. And so Ramonda Young Incorporated is all about teaching entrepreneurs who've been in business one to three years how to build those authentic relationships. And a lot of times I found out that women want to sit at the back of the room and we should be at the front of the room because we have so much value to contribute to the conversation, mm-hmm. whether it's our businesses or expertise. So my goal is to teach women how to do that. When I was younger, I was so nervous when it came to doing stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. I was shy away. I'm not an introvert, but I was shy away from those type of experiences. And I would be missing out because I was not equipped to tell people how I could benefit them, how my expertise could benefit them, what value I brought to the table. Mm-hmm. And so my goal now is to teach women how to craft their value voice so that when they meet that influencer, they know exactly what to say to really position their brand, to position their business. And it, it's it's been amazing, an amazing journey, right, for me and for a lot of my clients, too. So how important <clears throat> would you say um, is it for people to um, create their voice, develop their voice, and own their voice. 
It is immeasurably important because a lot of times we feel like, you know, there's other people that are out in the industry that may sound like us, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, there isn't. Mm -hmm. And we do ourselves a disservice. We do our community a disservice if we don't identify where we, where we, fall in the marketplace and how do we communicate that? So it's it's critical that we know how to do that. Man, it, it, people, we don't realize how much we leave money on the table. We leave mm-hmm. deals on the table because we're nervous. We feel like we, we're not equipped enough to walk into those spaces. Well, what's some advice that we can equip our listeners with that could possibly help them relax when they walk into the, those situations or even just be confident enough in that you know what you know? Like, do you have like, can you give me like three tips to share with them? Absolutely. Okay. So for a lot of times, if their women are attending conferences or workshops, what I really tell some of my clients to do is before they even step foot at that event, do your research. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, if you're nervous about going to those events, if you... Um, arm yourself with strategies and tools before you go. You walk in and say, hey, I already, I've reviewed yeah. this, I've studied this, I've prepared. So arming yourself with those tools. And a couple of those tools are one, if there are speakers on a panel or if there's a keynote presenter, find out who that person is, Google them. Mm-hmm. And especially if you want to make a connection with them for whatever reason, if you feel like you have something you can offer their business, but research them, find out what kind of connection you may have with them, how your business can help theirs. But look, sometimes we go, we don't even know who's Right. We just show up. Right. And so we miss out on those opportunities. Um, the other thing is, too, when you do find out who those speakers are, a lot of times we wait until after they've spoken. Then we try to get an allowance. 50 other people are in line. Mm-hmm. But if you've already done your research before you got in there, a lot of times you may find that speaker over in the corner. Or and just don't nobody know who they are. Nobody knows who they are. <laughs> but you do because right. you've done your research. Mm-hmm. And that's the perfect after opportunity if you're an introvert or somebody who wants to kind of shy away to go up and say, hey, I've been following you online. I saw that your business is doing this. This is what I think I can offer. Mm-hmm. And so that's something else that when you know that you see that person, and you've kind of done your research, you walk in a little bit taller and well-equipped. Um, and something else I would say, too, is uh, prepare even from your clothing. Find out what you're going to wear the night before and lay it all out. If you're nervous and feel like, OK, it's going to make me all you know, hairy to go, lay yourself out on the bed first. It's something simple, but put your most confident outfit together mm-hmm. and walk in there with your head up high. So those are some things that I tell some of my clients. There's, uh, I mean, I talk for four hours usually right, um, right. and work with them through processes. But there's a lot of different steps that, you know, when you walk in there, you can feel equipped and confident to have those conversations. So speaking along the fashion line and, and what they should be putting on, and I'm, I'm moving into the fashion because our <laughs> next guest is a creative director and she's an amazing designer. Um, but sticking with executive presence, because I feel like that's kind of like where mm-hmm. the realm that we're in right now. What are some different things that I should be cognizant of, even like once I arrive? You know, I've done my homework and laid out my outfit. Right. I'm stepping into the room. What should I look like? Mm, Good question. Um, You can come how, depending on the environment, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's a pearls type of environment, wear pearls, Mm -hmm. you know. And if it's not, if that's your brand to be different, be different. I think sometimes we feel like we have to kind of fit into the mold of the environment. Mm-hmm. If your brand is to wear jeans, if your brand, I mean, really own that. Right. And it doesn't matter the environment. I, I just believe that. I used to feel like I got to put on a suit. If everybody's got a suit on, but you don't. Right. I think the more that we own that, the more that we step into that, the more brilliant we are, even when we meet them. And of course, it may make everybody feel like, okay, she's here with her jeans 
Amazon. But if you own that thing, I'm sorry, you can walk out there and own the whole room. Be a beast. Be a beast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just really kind of, you, you can research the audience, you can research the type of event, you can go on social media and see if this conference happened last year, what did people have on? So if you're a little nervous about stepping out 100% bold in that way, right. you can go and look at photos and things of that nature. But put on the outfit that makes your spirit feel tall right. as well. Everybody else may not see it, but you feel it mm-hmm. and it makes you feel tall too. But Now let's talk a little bit about... Um the books um, in that industry a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I'm super excited because <laughs> I know we had discussed having me come in and mm-hmm. do like a session, um, I believe in May, yes. um, the latter part of May. Yeah. And I'm curious, what do bookstores look for mm. when authors come to them and say, hey, I would love for my book to be in your store? Mm-hmm. Good question. Yeah, so there's a lot of things actually. Um, in the past, somebody could just walk in there and say, "Here's my book. Can you book? You know, sign me up for a date." And nowadays, because we want it to be a win-win situation, we want the author to walk out with books sold, and we want people to come to the store. So we want it to be a win-win situation. But we look for, your, of course, your social media following. And you don't have to have fifty thousand, but we do want to see some type of presence. Engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times people think, "Oh, if it's at the store, the store is going to promote, promote, promote my event," and we will promote it. But the biggest thing is those followers, your trying follows you. They may not necessarily follow me mm-hmm. or follow my bookstore. So looking at how many people are you engaging with is important. We look at that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, from a distribution standpoint, we try to see, are your, is your book with the world's largest book distributor? And that if so, that book now can be accessible by over 40,000 um, organizations mm-hmm. and bookstores all across the nation. So for us, Having your book there makes it a lot easier from a business perspective because we can order the book if somebody walks in and says, hey, I want Angel's book and we have to call you and get it. That's not a that's not an easy right. process for us. So having it at the um, distributors makes it a lot easier. And it's an easy process for authors to do. It doesn't mm-hmm. cost a lot of money. But once you do that, it's now accessible by so many. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we look at if you're local, we really want to have... Um, the ability to work with local authors in the D.C. area, mm-hmm. but we also work with others as well. But we look right. at those type of things. Um, also, how the quality. Don't get me started on the quality of the book, right? Wait a right? second. We got my book right I here. I see your quality How's book. My, with your nice quality? Net, it looks good. Yay! looks really good. <laughs> Plug for brand repping. What is it? 101? Yes. yes. Brand repping 101. Yeah. But we look at the quality. I've been in books now for about 13 years. And let me tell you, I would see books, no shade on any of this, but they would look like they just got printed off of, you know, at, at the local print shop or something. Mm-hmm. And when I think about our customers, I'm thinking people worked hard for their money. Yeah, They worked really hard to come into your store, whether online, to buy that book. And if it looks like you just made photocopies of that cover, it's not going to make it on our shelves. Right. If there's a lot of um, errors, you know, grammatically in it, I usually kind of flip through the first few pages mm-hmm. and I've seen some with tons of errors. That's not going to make the cut for us. Right. We want to give our, our customers a quality product, just like the author would want to give right. a quality right. product. And so we look at those things. If, if you took love and you took time, if you took professional, you know, um, steps to make that book happen. We look at all those pieces. But there's other steps that we look at, too. Like I said, you're your following. The distribution piece is key. Um, your email list Let's is key. Let's talk about distribution. <laughs> this is a setup, right? You said it. You said it. You can follow me on. No, I'm just joking. No, go ahead. Get no, a plug. No, no, Get a plug. no, no. No, <laughs> no so she's back. saying that this is a setup because... <laughs> We have a conversation scheduled for tomorrow for us to talk about distribution of Angel's book. Mm -hmm. But since we're here, 
we might as well share a little bit of information with our audience because yes. I'm sure it's good information for anyone who is really interested in pushing their books. Yes, right? absolutely. So I would suggest, I won't go into all the details, but I would suggest that your listeners look up Ingram um, Book Distributors and we don't get any kickback from them or mm-hmm. anything. But if you want your book to be accessible by all of the independent bookstores mm-hmm. who are, are part of this ordering process, then that's one way to go in and look up, okay, how do I get my book to go through Ingram and now have it accessible by now, these Ingram Sparks or just Ingram Ingram Distributors Ingram so Wholesale it's Distributors different than it is a little different yeah they're okay. all under the same umbrella of Ingram mm-hmm. but Ingram Spark is the the self publishing piece under there okay but yeah there's a way to go through that process and have your books accessible and it's huge again I worked at the other big box retailer that's still mm-hmm. out here and I worked for them for five years and when we did our special orders we went straight to Ingram mm-hmm. you know and they still do that to this day because it was easier. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have 50 different books that are coming in, 50 different authors saying, carry yeah. my book, when I can go and push one button and get them all. Right. Versus right. trying to go here, try, let me call Angel, let me call this author yeah. and have them drop the books off. So, you know, yeah. that's true. Like back when I worked um, as a producer mm-hmm. on the other end, I would receive tons and tons of books from all of the different publishing houses. But I do remember Ingram would have their little catalog that they would mm-hmm. push out. Mm-hmm. And they would literally send me a well-packaged box with all the media releases. Once, st- like it would have everybody's everything, their mm-hmm. whole media kit, mm-hmm. and it just made it so easy for Absolutely. me to just flip through it. I had all the books right there and be able to say, "Yep, I want this one. I want this one." To be able to come on and do like our different interviews and stuff. So Absolutely. I do see how that would be like. Duh. Yeah, from a business process. And a lot of people say, oh, well, can you just take my book? And we do this big consignment thing. And we, when we first started our business, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, when it was online? When or? it was online. Okay. Uh-huh. People would ship us three copies. And then we would try to track over the next few months how many copies sold. And then we would send them a check. But when you have a business now that's so many people, and you yeah. know, over the years we've been doing doing it that way, um, but it has to make business sense for us too. We are lovers of our community, lovers of authors, mm-hmm. but it still has to make business sense for us too right. so and them too right you know so yeah we, we go through that process to help help with that interesting so t- let's talk about do you have a book coming out i mean you're a lover of books you're a lover of your community what are you going to give back to the community book wise look at you on the air on the record <laughs> right <laughs> i do i do have a book and it's all centered around teaching women how to soar at building these authentic relationships okay. um again i've been doing it for 10 years um and working in roles when it comes to community relations and so i want to pour all of that into a book and, and give them try um and true strategies on how to do that so i'm looking forward to that I really am just arming them with, hey, I don't know, just a playbook, so to mm-hmm. speak, about how do I enter these rooms and take control of this room and leave confidently, walk in confidently and build relationships to where that I'm contributing something. And when I'm talking to that power player, they feel like I'm leaving them with value as well. So so pouring into them and then pouring right yeah, back into you. Absolutely. It's, it's key. I'm excited about it. Yes. OK, well, I'm sure we'll be able to find it at Mahogany Bookstore oh. in Washington, D.C. Yes, you will. Absolutely. <laughs> so you already got your distance. Distribution ready. Right, right. <laughs> now, our last question before we um, welcome Deanna to the show. Um, I know you're juggling a lot. You know, you have the two businesses, you're working on the book, you, your mom, wife. Um, how do you keep everything afloat? How do you keep everything up in the air? Well, sometimes I don't. That's just real. Some, mm-hmm. you know, I could walk in and be like, yes, I have it all together. Mm-mm, no, girl, it is not. Um, I, 
constantly work at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to grapple with, oh, I'm not, you know, everything's not in balance. I'm not giving my husband enough time. I'm not giving my daughter enough time. I'm not giving my business enough time. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned over the over these years is not to go for balance because what's balanced for me may be so out of sync for you in mm-hmm. your household. Mm-hmm. And so now I look at harmony. How is this harmonious for me? Is it me? Is my is it me taking out the trash instead of my husband? Is it my husband picking up our daughter? What works with my family? What makes my home harmonious? And what works in my home may not even work at your home. Mm-hmm. You know, some people may want their husband at home or their wife at home doing this. And for us, that's not what works. Mm-hmm. So I really had to find out what was harmonious for me and not what was balanced. Because I threw balance out of the window. You know, today I might work with my daughter. Tomorrow I may be focused on the bookstore. The next day I may, may be work, focused on my business. Mm-hmm. And I had to be okay with that. Right. But I still have those moments where I deal with mommy guilt. That's mm-hmm. just real. Like, oh, yep. I didn't spend enough time with her today. And, and she probably was trying to find a new mommy. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yes. she's at that age where, you know, you really want to give that time. Yeah. But I have to be okay with what the example that I'm showing her. Mm-hmm. She's very active with our business. I just left her not that long ago. Her and my husband are at the bookstore. She's there working and boxing up things. And she has her own product. She has her own business. She has since she was seven. So I know that there's tools that she's watching from us mm-hmm. that she's getting. Mm-hmm. And I have to be okay that, to know that I'm preparing her for life in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's so not like how my mom did. My mom was at home mm-hmm. when I got out of school and lunch yep. and dinner was on the table. Yep. Tonight we may be eating out and tomorrow <laughs> we may as well. So and I have to be at peace with that. And right. women have to be at peace with right. it not looking like somebody else's perfect, but our own. Yeah, we create our own superwoman. Yeah, we have to identify with what and who she is. That's right. And as long as we're content with it. Yeah. Hey, absolutely. Go for harmony. Go yes. for harmony in your home. <laughs> All right. So this has been such a great and enlightening conversation. It's been so lighthearted. So it's been like, you know, just so free flowing. Mm. So thank you for sharing. Um, a little bit later, we'll get to our moments from the valley where we'll get a little deeper, talk mm-hmm. about that hard time that you had to go through. Um, but for right now, we are going to head into our tech break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Deanna Dorsey, the creative director of District of Clothing, representing the 202. Stay with us. It's time for Tech Talk, and in studio we have our dynamic duo <laughs> for cybersecurity. We have Ms. Kiana Ganey of SecureTech360 and Ms. Angela Dingle of Axony. Hello. And today we are talking about cyber hygiene for the kiddos. Yeah. Kiddos. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So talk to me about how important it is to make sure that the kids have some form of awareness of cybersecurity. Children these days are just so tech ta- tech savvy. Mm-hmm. That was a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> They're so tech savvy, and um, I don't think parents are keeping up with all the things that are going on from a technology perspective. So mm-hmm. it's really important for both the parents and for the children to know how to be safe online. And also, I would say, because a lot of times they're using maybe one functionality um, for the certain apps, and it can have so many different capabilities. And the parents are not even aware of some of the capabilities. Mm So it's a conversation. I said, you sit down, you have the talk. If you see a, a, a certain app on your child's phone, 
you know, Google it, do your own research on it and then have the conversation so that they're aware and you're also aware that what this type of app or technology that they're introducing and then they're using is protecting them because there are a lot of people out there that utilize different apps to get access to children to be able to do things to them. And also even sometimes it even links to human trafficking. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of times with people say, well, my daughter, she was on this and she used this and she used that. And then when they go back and look, she was on an app that was hidden within on her phone that had capabilities for her to make international calls and she now she's gone and no one knows where to trace her so it's very important to have that I call it the cyber talk with your kids and that's a really important point because research is telling us that parents typically would just put a set of rules in place you know you're not allowed to be on the internet after a certain hour Mm -hmm. in this day and age though it really needs to be a conversation Mm -hmm. you really need to be open to learning what their experiences are and they need to know that they have the right to protect themselves when they're online there's a great campaign online called Mm -hmm. stop think connect and it really is about helping parents understand how to have a conversation with their children how to teach children to stop when they see something that makes them feel uncomfortable or frightens them on the internet that they should think about what that means and share that with an adult and then connect in a way where they're protecting themselves. So don't just put your name and your phone number out there or your contact information. Teach them how to come up with creative disguises and alter egos that they can use when they're online and gaming environments on social media. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you ladies for being here and sharing this amazing amount of information with us to keep us all informed and enlightened. Uh, You can learn more information about how to keep your kids protected online at WB talk.com welcome back to the woman behind the business talk show i'm your host angel livis and we just wrapped up a conversation with ramunda lark young co-founder of mahogany bookstore and now i'm super excited to welcome diana dorsey to our conversation hello hello (laughs) diana dorsey is the woman behind district of clothing she moved to milan italy um, to attend fashion design school after graduating from villanova university Upon relocating to the state, she landed in New York City, where she designed outerwear for Oscar de la Renta, which is one of my favorite designers. So I'm like, can't wait to talk (laughs) about that. Um, Later, she moved back to Washington, D.C., her hometown. And that's where she gave life to Deanna Dorsey Design, a design boutique that specializes in being creative, from graphic design to art direction, brand strategy and website development. Deanna utilizes her unique ability to create, develop, and nurture harmonious brands to also impact communities. She's been featured in Marie Claire, The Washington Informer, and named a Washingtonian style setter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's that so was like so hearing. long. Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> hearing about yourself. Wow. Do you feel accomplished? Do you feel like, yeah, uh, that's me? Or you feel like, oh my gosh, like, just, can you stop? No, I was just like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did do know, that. Oh, yeah. You know, I think oftentimes, like, doers, we just keep our head down and we keep doing. And um, I often have to remind myself to celebrate the small victories. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I just, I celebrated while you were sharing that. Thank Yay. you. I think it's like to your point, I think it's so important to not only celebrate those small little milestones, but also recognize Mm -hmm. the impact that we're having on our communities um, and through the different works that we're doing. And I think as a doer, we often think, you know, I haven't done anything yet. Like, I still have so much more to do. Like, this is where I'm trying to get to. I'm not there yet. And so just reminding ourselves that, like, 
no, you know, the things that we're doing every day, they're grand. Um, and so not only should, you know, people know who we are and what we're doing, but we should also recognize that ourselves. And share. Yeah, that's very true. So Such congrats. a blessing. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So I was looking for my shirt, but we had already discussed this. I know I don't have one. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> but I do feel like uh, District of Clothing, it's all about motivating and encouraging doers. And dreamers. Yes, and dreamers. And change makers. Wait a and second. Let history. me get okay. my question out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm here. I'm sorry. So when you hear the phrase. Yes. Think, dream, do. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, what is the first thing? I don't, I don't, I think it's just like breathing and going, you know, keep going. It's just mm-hmm. think, dream, do. Um, and I think my first thought would be to dream, then to think, then mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very much a firm believer that our dreams are given to us mm-hmm. because we have the ability to bring them for, forward um, and, and to fruition, but it's, they're not just for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when I first hear think, dream, do, it's just like, get started. Or dream, think, do, dream, whichever think, do. one. Right. It's just like, get going. That's, you know, keep going because we need you. Just do it. Just do it. Not stealing that from Nike, but you know. They, when I say they got a winner, winner, trick or chicken dinner with that, it's like, my gosh, amazing. Now, when did you first realize your passion for design? Um, I would probably first say that I first realized my passion for fashion mm-hmm. when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, I can remember it as clear as day. I used to have a lot of hair, like mm-hmm. a lot of hair. And my, my mom would, um, it would take her like four to five hours to do my hair. So she would lay me down on one side do half the head and then she would lay me down on the other side which typically meant I would either watch like a basketball game or a football game and a gray movie or two gray movies or a cartoon you know we watched a variety of things but I can remember this one day um, we were in our home in Pittsburgh and she happened to change the channel don't know which channel it was but I just saw this beautiful woman coming down these steps and I actually got burned because I (laughs) I popped up Oh, you using your hair press? She was pressing me out. <laughs> and um, I said, who is that? Who, you know, I, I couldn't. I was very so young. Um, but I just was completely enamored with her. Um, and I think that was, I, I wanted to know everything about her, and I wanted to know why I loved her so much. In that moment, I just felt like everything changed. And after that, I just became really very interested in clothing. And that was Audrey Hepburn. I was about to say, who was it? <laughs> it was Audrey Hepburn. I had never, she's been my, I get emotional just thinking about it. She's been my muse since day one. Um, I had never seen such a graceful presence, presence on television. And she was wearing a Givenchy dress, which is still one of my favorite designers. Mm-hmm. I just, I am here today as a creative person. From that moment? From that moment. It, it, it all happened in that moment. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. I don't think sometimes we realize the impact um, of the visions and the visuals that kids have and how it can impact and affect the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. She was just so confident and um, graceful, and the dress looked amazing on her. She just had on a simple black gown, but it changed my world forever. Now, were your parents supportive of your dream? (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, cause I, it, it was one of those questions because I'm like, yo, like, you know, fashion or the arts, really, it seems like families kind of be like, mm, I need you to pick something that's going to make you some money. Right. So my mom has been supportive of anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um anything and everything that I ever wanted to do aside from when she found out that I was picking up homeless people and tra- and, and moving them um, in my car at 16 years old by myself she was not very supportive of that but otherwise she's <laughs> been incredibly supportive she reminds me of that quite often um, my dad on the other hand he um, is just now sort of coming around to understanding everything that I'm doing mm-hmm. but um, I think he expected me to be the first black female president. Mm-hmm. He had me working at the White House um, at uh, 12 years old, on Capitol Hill at 11 years old. Um, and I think he thought that I was going to get into law and eventually into politics mm-hmm. and um, become the first black female president. So when I told him I was going to Villanova University, he was really excited and he assumed that I would be um, studying finance. Mm-hmm. And I told him I was going to study communication I think I almost gave him a heart attack. Um, <laughs> I can see his face right now. Um, he said, you know, communication, All you talk all day. What, I'm not paying all this money for you to go to Villanova to, to communicate. Um, and then when I decided not to go to law school, um, again, he just was heartbroken. Um, and I told him that I was going to start a clothing line. My very first business was called Deanna Marie. Mm-hmm. I told him I was going to start a clothing line. I started traveling back and forth to Italy, and I told him I was going to go to fashion design school, and he was just completely against everything. But I wrote a um, a proposal to him using a Jay-Z song, and I explained to him the money behind fashion. Mm-hmm. And then I think he was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I went to school in Milan, um, did very well, came back, um, and needed more money. <laughs> Where's all the money you were talking about, Diana? And I said, oh, it's going to come. It's going to come. I don't know when, but it's going to come. Um, but he's been incredibly supportive. He's um, he's so proud. I'm, I'm, it brings me so much joy and happiness to see the look on his face when I share with him what I'm doing mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's truly a blessing. So wh- the theme of today's show is like owning your voice, essentially. And a lot of times um, as a child or even just being the child of your parents, at any age, you're still their child, mm-hmm. right? Um, we always want to make them proud. We always want to make sure the things that we're doing, they're going to be excited about. And we don't want them to be like, well, I don't know about that, you know? Mm -hmm. So how were you able to maneuver? Because you were still like young. I mean, you you were in your early 20s at the time. How were you able to, or did your mom like kind of was in your ear like, it's okay, I'll talk to him or, you know, or you just was like, this is what I want and he'll come around eventually. Yeah, I think um, I'm a Dorsey. He's a Dorsey. He knew he really didn't have an option. <laughs> I mean, he raised me to be the woman that I am. Right. And I think it was very. Um, I'd be. I actually want to ask him this question. It was. It was several moments for him um, when I was very young and showing him who I was from from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, "Well, you're either going to get on board or or not. I'm going to do it regardless." And um, I can imagine saying that to my dad. 
I, I mean, I said I mean, it respectfully. <laughs> well, there were times when I did say it disrespectfully, for sure. Um, you know, when you're an unruly teenager. But I've right. always just... I think now he understands that he may not necessarily understand my vision from from the beginning, but he trusts it at this point. Right, right. Um, he respects it. He respects it, mm-hmm. and he always understood that I was um, going to do something on my own. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so that was always sort of ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he expected it to be in finance or law or medicine. Mm-hmm. But I will say that the one thing I was always raised um, to to know was that I needed to be um, provide a service for my people and mm-hmm. to be of service to my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially, that's still what I'm doing. I'm just doing it in my own way. So with so much competition um, in the fashion industry, how did you find your voice? I think I've always just been very true to myself. Um, there. You know, one thing that I I really remember in in design school is um, all of the kids like taking lots of drugs, lots of drugs and making drugs, designing drugs so that they were experiencing something different, so that they were creating something different. Mm -hmm. I have a very um, unique and simple style that is 100 percent me. And I believe in that style and it works for me. And so I put that down on paper and. Um, I'm not here to be trendy. I've never been a trendy person. Um, I've always just been very um, authentic authentic and classic. You know, I think um, there's probably a reason why I connected with Audrey when she was coming down the steps because she just had such a beautiful, simplistic, minimalistic, um, authentic and very classic style to her. And that's that's me. And I think that that is very evident um, in my... Sketching when I was a fashion designer in my former life, my 20s, I call that my <laughs> former life, um, and even now with District of Clothing, it's really a, a just about being, um, keeping it um, keeping it simple and keeping it moving and making sure that people are able to connect with it in a very authentic way. Now, what was your inspiration be- behind um, kind of merging community impact into your branding campaigns? Hmm, I think... Um, it's always, like I said, growing up, it was always about um, being of service and providing a service to your people. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, it's like God, family, education, and service mm-hmm. in, in my family. And so I think um, it was only natural that all of Deanna kind of came together mm-hmm. now as a 37-year-old woman. It's just all sort of coming together really very well. Um, when I first moved here from D.C., and I was trying to like revitalize my portfolio from being a fashion portfolio to being more of a branded portfolio and one that Washington, D.C., air quotes, would accept. Um, it was finally a time for me to get back to my roots of community service. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to connect with brands or organizations or businesses or startups that were doing some sort of social good and... Um, I, I believe that my skills and my talents have been given to me for a reason. Mm-hmm. So if I'm able to utilize what I can do and help someone else do something good for us, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. So what is it? How do you integrate um, the social impact with what it is that your brand is doing? How do they coexist? With Deanna Dorsey Design or with District of Clothing? Whichever. They're both I, I yours. Think, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I say no quite often. So mm-hmm. lots of people 
where organizations or startups will come and want to work with me. And if I'm not feeling what the campaign is, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, being able to get to that point after the first year of business was a really exciting time because there was a time when I was doing work that not to say it wasn't for the social good but it wasn't it didn't make me feel good and it didn't make me feel like I was doing something that was really giving back to um to us in one way or another awesome all right so what obstacles have you faced as a designer (laughs) now not your moment from the valley just obstacles um as a designer I would say my first obstacle was, um, so I went to Villanova first, Mm -hmm. and then I went to design school in Milan, Mm -hmm. and then I moved to New York City when I was 24, Mm -hmm. I think. So I I was a brown designer that no one had heard of Mm -hmm. in New York City. That was my first obstacle. Um, My second obstacle was me not accepting um, certain rates. I just... I didn't always know know my value. I didn't always know my value, but I always knew my value. And so, um, and again, I'm a Dorsey, so if I didn't like something, you won't know about it. And, it, you know, even if I want to work with you, but you're not paying me what I know I deserve or what I think I deserve, even if I'm wrong, then no. Um, and I had great allies along the way. So mm-hmm. whether um, it was a headhunter who was helpful or it was um, mentors that I met along the way, or even just having conversations with um, with men who don't look like me, with mm-hmm. white men who could really say, <laughs> gave me that extra confidence that I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was incredibly helpful, and even helpful now, actually. Now, what would you say um, to the aspiring fashion designer? <laughs> what would you tell the listener that, you know, wants to break into the industry? Like, what are some things that they should be doing um, or even just considering to make sure that this is the right industry for them? I would say um, the best way for you to be your most creative self is for you to love yourself and to accept yourself. And so as a creative person, we have highs and lows that are very different from other people right Mm -hmm. um you have to get comfortable being in all of those emotions um the more you love yourself and the more you um accept yourself the more you'll be able to trust yourself and the more you'll just be very comfortable sketching and coming up with these beautiful creations and once you breathe life into something and you fall in love with it people are naturally going to fall in love with it as well Mm -hmm. um my next tip would be to read everything um, whether it's a book or you know look at, at as many documentaries as you can really start to understand what fabrics are the different fabrications understand um, tariffs and importing and exporting um, talk to anybody and everybody and be very um, vulnerable with your story and um, just do it you have to do it don't you know I don't I would I would say to someone, you know, don't say, oh, I need to go to school first or, oh, I need to do that. If you were to see my very first sketches, I mean, you would never in a million years believe that I eventually went to school in Milan or that I worked in New York City or that I'm here now owning my second fashion mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. brand or other. So just do it. But, but you know, 
the first step to doing anything and not just in fashion, but definitely as a creative person is to um, love yourself and accept yourself and trust yourself so that you can feel more confident in whatever it is, it is that you are creating. Now, I, th- I feel like you touched on this just a smidget when you talked about being in New York. And I know that mm-hmm. while you were in New York, is that's when you worked for Oscar de la Renta. So what was that experience like? I, so I worked for several different brands. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is, gosh, um, my former life. So it's 2000 and like four, five, six, seven ish, mm-hmm. right? And um, it was hard getting a job. I was slightly older than the average young designer. I didn't go to school at Pratt. I didn't go to FIT. Um, I didn't look like the other designers. And um, I also had a Villanova University education behind me so that I wasn't going to go to a job and just say, oh, yeah, I'm fine making $18,000. It just, that wasn't going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had bounced around quite a bit. I was a freelance designer just literally trying to make it in New York City. Mm -hmm. And um, my headhunter called me one day and um, she's like, oh, I have this really cool opportunity for you to do some designing for Oscar outerwear. I was like, what? (laughs) I I literally, I was just like, I don't even care. I I was like, I don't, they can pay me the chips. (laughs) I don't care. I'm 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 doing this. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I um, designed outerwear for him for a few months. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it was a a good steady contract at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember my designer, my manager's name Mm -hmm. was um, Carla. I don't remember where she was from exactly, but she was she was European, very beautiful woman, long reddish hair. And she was always just very supportive. It was not easy, you know. It was not easy. Um, And one day I just happened to get on the elevator and he came in the elevator too. And I almost lost it. You know, (laughs) like I was this little minion and um, he had this beautiful smile. Let's also pause. You know, Oscar de la Renta is a beautiful man. He's a, (laughs) he's a very handsome, beautiful man. Um, But I think what I sensed initially at the same time of my like shock and awe, because one, this is Oscar de la Renta. Two, I'm in his building. Three, um, you know, I didn't know if I should get. I just didn't know what to do, <laughs> right? But his spirit uh-huh. was. It was like a glow around him. He was just such a. We only had I don't know thirty five seconds together, and he was just a very. Um, he was a beautiful man, but he had a wonderful spirit. More, mm-hmm. That's what I remember most. Um, on top of him also asking me my name and where I worked, which floor I was going to. Um, and then he thanked me for mm-hmm. working for him. And um, I get emotional How'd that just thinking feel? about it. You know, mind you, I'm like 25, 26. Like, I had been in some really tough situations in New York City as if I had been in some really tough situations. Um, so for me to meet someone who I, I don't like to use the word idolize, but someone that I've respected. truly respected mm-hmm. um, and for him to be finally, you know, so kind for me to encounter someone that was so very kind, it was, um, it was remarkable. I was actually working for the licensing company was called Fleet Street Limited. And um, everyone there was just really very kind. 
Um, and that's not always New York, the routine right. uh, in, in the city and in fashion. Now, before we move to our moments from the Valley, because I think we're about out of time, um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, your new company, which is really what you're doing now. Um, and I noticed that like, when it comes to developing revenue and generating solutions for brands, you implement three key elements. Um, what are they and what's the significance of each of them? Gosh, do I know them? It's create, develop, nurture. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I was thinking I was like, of District just of Clothing. In case, yes. She don't know. Let me write it down for her. Um, I was thinking of District of Clothing. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that's what's um, enabled me to be in business for the last Wait, eight you years say now. It again, because I don't know if the create, audience. nurture, develop. Create, develop, nurture. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so it's about creating very timeless, innovative, sim- simple, and um, memorable designs mm-hmm. or brands or products are merging those experiences together. Um, and then it's about developing um, with like a, you know, create it, not you want to create something, but then you want to develop it so that people feel connected to it and mm-hmm. they want to be a member of that community. Mm-hmm. And then you want to nurture it to allow it to continue to move forward and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what's helped me be in business for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. I think I'm also constantly creating, nurturing, and developing myself, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of the time that I'm working with these companies, um, I just always try to remind them of the human element. Like, let's just break. We're all just people. Right. We all breathe. We all go to sleep at night, or most of us go to sleep at night. <laughs> You know, let's just break this down. Keep it simple. Keep it moving is what I typically try to remind people. Now, in working with these brands, do you think that individuals often think that their brand represents one thing? And do they have a good understanding of what society actually relates to their brand? Um, I think so. I mean, I I would say... It, it sort of depends on where they are and their stage of development. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, startup companies have no idea what they know what they want to say. They have an understanding of how the message that they do want to project, but that's not necessarily always what they're projecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, I remind them, OK, let's take it back to step one, ground one, let's just strip everything away mm-hmm. and keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And then we can build and grow from there. Now, what's next for you? <laughs> um, oh, I honestly, I think I'm still sort of figuring that out. Um, I'm very open to the idea of resting, which for me would be getting a job. Um, very open to that idea <laughs> because the last um, three years or so of being a of double full time entrepreneur, managing both businesses with Deanna Dorsey Design and District of Clothing has me um, on a next level of exhaustion that I don't think is healthy. And I'm very much into um, self-care and self-love. And so I would like to just kind of bring down the level of stress mm-hmm. for even just for a year would right. be wonderful and a blessing. Right. Um, but we'll see. You know, I I have my goals written down. Um, we'll see where God leads me next. I know that I will continue to create. I know that I will continue to serve. Um, I believe I will still be here in Washington, D.C., and we'll see where that goes next. Okay, awesome. Well, I think that is a perfect transition into our WBB Health Tips with Dr. Tia Hill.
It's time for our Woman Behind the Business health tip with Dr. Tia Hill. Today, we're going to talk about mental health and how you can be impacted with depression um, as we gear up for Mother's Day. Dr. Hill, talk to us about how this all kind of works together. Well, we always celebrate Mother's Day, and we're always talking about the mothers that are alive. But what we don't ever think about is that there are so many people coping with the fact that their mother is not here or that their mother is here where they could be in a coma, going through dementia, Alzheimer's, um, a stroke, and they're not the same mother that they were let's say even a year ago. Mm. So I think one of the things that I always like to make people aware of is that we have to always be cognizant that other people are going through things Mm. as well. And so what are some of the different things that you recommend um, from the mental health perspective that women or even men going through the loss of a loved one, whether it's been two days or 50 years? that they should be mindful of or able to do during this difficult time for them? It is okay to cry. You will always miss and love your mother. It's not a get rich, I'm going to get over it. It doesn't. You know, you may have one year where it's easy, and then there may be another year where you just want your mama. And so it's okay. I think we often tell people that grieving is a certain amount of time and you Mm -hmm. should be over it, but it's not, it's a process. And I think it's a whole that you will never, ever, ever be able to replace. I have not lost my mother, but I have seen women who have lost their mothers and holiday seasons, whether it's mother's day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, even Valentine's day, new year's, they hold and are very impactful um, memories and they bring people back to a place either good or bad. Thank you so much for this Mental Health Minute with us. Um, For more information, please feel free to visit us online at WBB Talk. Thank you so much, Dr. Hill. No problem. Now it's time for Moments from the Valley. This is when you share a valley moment that you didn't think you would overcome and how you actually overcame the situation. So, Ramonda, we're going to start with you. I guess for me, about, um, I guess about... 15 years ago, actually, I, I know I enjoy speaking. I get to speak around um, the country and just share my experiences as an entrepreneur and share um, strategies and tips on how women can build those authentic business relationships. But I was right in the car with a, an acquaintance, not even a friend, an acquaintance, and we were in the backseat talking. They were going to some concert, and she was a mom, and she had had this very kind of tumultuous life. And we were talking about, you know, her experiences and how hard it was for her. And um, and she looked at me and she said, you haven't had any of those experiences. Nobody would ever want to hear from you. You're talking about you want to go speak around the nation and this and that. Nobody, you have no, no story, no, no, no mountain that you've overcome. And I, it just made me shut down completely because here I am. I had started, you know, speaking at smaller places and I did not have this big, you know, I'd been, you know, you know, through, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home or I was not abused or I didn't have that story. Um, I didn't grow up wealthy at all, but I didn't have this big tumultuous story. And it made me shut down completely and say, you know what, maybe no one wants to hear from me. I don't have this big warrior story where I've overcome and I was down and out. And for years, and when I tell you, Angel, for years, I just got quiet 
And I didn't want to go speak anywhere because I'm like, nobody wants to hear from me. She was right. She'd had this big hard story and hard experience and people wanted to hear this rallying cry for this person. And so I let that person's thought or that person's perception of what my journey had been shut me down. And, you know, people invite me to come speak and I'd say, no, you know, no, I'm not ready. Even though in my heart, I felt ready. And it not, I would say for, I would probably say for four or five years, I just had her tape playing in my mind. You don't have a story. Nobody wants to hear from you. And then I guess eight years ago now, almost 10, Michelle Obama came on the scene. And I was looking at her and this huge following that she had and people respected her and she was speaking everywhere, but she did not have this big tumultuous, I'd been through the, you know, depths of whatever and, and rose. She did not have that story, but yet people still gravitated toward her. People still wanted to hear what tips she had. And that for me was a light that clicked. And one other thing that clicked for me, because I, I mean, when I tell you, I felt so bad, like, what, what do I have to say to anybody who wants to hear me? I mean, it really messed with my spirit. But the other thing was that helped me turn around was my mom. I was telling her about it and I was crying on the phone like, Mama, here I am thinking I want to go speak and change people's lives and share my experience. And she said, if you look out across the landscape, she said, Ramunda, well, she called me KK. That's my nickname. Put it all out there. She said, KK, she said, there are way, way more people who have not had that tumultuous life altering experience. Do we have ups and downs? Everybody has drama? Yes, of course. But she said, there's way more people who have not. She says, who's speaking to them? Who's speaking to, if they have not been abused or they didn't come up in an alcoholic home, Mm -hmm. who's speaking to them? Who's giving them things to arm themselves with their tools and strategies? And it really resonated with me like, wow, you know what? I could be that voice. I could be one of those people out there. And that moment clicked for me to say, you know what? Forget what this other chick was saying. I have the right and the authority and the responsibility to come out of that stupor stupor, and to continue um, speaking and impacting women. And so, but that thing had me shook, you know, mm-hmm. that's somebody else's perception mm-hmm. had me shook and who did not know my story, did not know my journey. But that was something I had to come from. And even to this day, at moments I grapple, like I didn't have this big story, you know, this big thing. But I do, I share a lot of the other stories that I had growing up that people have, that resonate with them and experience. And um, I love it. So that has a lot to do with your your brand that you've created. Absolutely. Isn't it amazing how things like that? all comes together yeah always and eventually empowers us for our next phase absolutely now i can help other women find their voice too yeah. yes thank you so much for sharing absolutely all right diana you're up mine would have to be the first one that comes to mind because i've had a few but the first one that comes to mind would have to be um about three and a half years ago when my prime client went on a spending freeze um and i sort of woke up one day and realized like, oh, this is what all these other entrepreneurs and, you know, women in, in business are are going through. Now I understand all of these statistics and I understand what everyone is um, so stressed out about with, with um, owning their own business. And I realized that um, I needed financial help. And so my thought was, well, I'm just going to create some sort of infrastructure um, to help me through the crazy months, the slow months, the weeks when people aren't paying or the weeks when people are paying late. Um, and that's when I came up with the idea of District of Clothing. So it was a really tough time for me because I felt like 
I felt like I had failed when they went on a spinning freeze, even though it didn't have anything to do with me. Um, And I had to quickly, you know, pull myself up and realize, well, I didn't fail. But if this if we are going to look at this as a failure, we have to fail forward. And how can we continue to move forward? How can we continue to pay these bills? How can we continue to make sure that we're okay um, during those rough months? And it was passive income. So I was inspired by all the people that were around me who are constantly thinking of doing things. And then, you know, in D.C., you can go to or wherever the DMV, you go to lunch or brunch or happy hour with someone and they're coming up with this idea. And then the next time you see them a couple of months later, they've already moved on the idea. And um, I was really uh, and, and I think that was also very much who I was. And I just maybe didn't realize it. Um, I was really impacted by that. And I wanted to sort of bottle it up in a way that um, would help me and then also would help other people. And so it only was natural um, for me to mix it up with something that I was very comfortable with and knew how to do, which is fashion. Um, and then I love I love us. So I wanted to make sure that we were continuing to move this um, to, to different communities and air quotes districts um, to help people that look like us, maybe haven't had all of our resources and haven't been exposed to as many things as we have, but to help them understand that, um, you know, you can have a dream. And if you have a dream, you can also make that dream happen. Beautiful. I think our listeners have definitely been um, motivated, touched and encouraged by these two moments from the Valley. So thank you, ladies, for sharing. Thank Thank you. So before we wrap, if everybody can just share some contact information, whether it's social media, website, however, um, but I definitely want our listeners to be able to connect with you. So, Ramonda? Absolutely. For Mahogany Books, they can find us on all social media platforms at Mahogany Books, or they can go to our website, mahoganybooks.com. And if they want to reach out to me to build those authentic business connect- connections, they can easily go to ramondayoung.com. Beautiful. And you can find District of Clothing online at districtofclothing.com. On Instagram, we are at district underscore of underscore clothing. That was a fail, but we got it. Um, For me personally, um, and also through the business, at at social media, I'm everywhere with at Deanna Dorsey, D-I-O-N-N-A-D-O-R-S-E-Y. And then online, DeannaDorsey.com. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. That's the show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, WBBTalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section tomorrow. And of course, follow us on social media at WBBTalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Kyle Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed. <laughs>